Hello, welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, and we've got a win to review just, just about in the fifth minute of injury time. Jordan Hugo, what a time to score your first goal for the club. The, the coolest of penalties, a brilliant technique, uh, and we'll come on to that more later. Dave Freezer here. You can also hear us on Future Radio 107.8 FM, joined by Connor Southwell and Paddy Davitt to, to review that game at the New York Stadium, which was a very lively affair, wasn't it, Pad? And as, as, as much as um, I enjoyed it as a spectacle, and, and I know people could watch it on live streams, and even a few or a couple of hundred people were watching it at Carrow Road, which we'll touch on as well. But at full time, there was a big part of me that felt, oh, I'm, it's so sad that fans aren't here for this. When, when you think back to those celebrations in 2019, when Godfrey had scored the winner and all that sort of stuff, this would have been an epic away day, wouldn't it? Hundred percent, and it was obviously the same end. I.e., where that the away supporters would have been massed yeah. to that goal, and and you can see even like it was almost Jordan Hugel. He's slotted the penalty. He's ran behind the goal, and then nothing. He has to turn back round, and Adam Eder jumps on him. You know, it's kind of almost as if it, for a split second he thought, right, I'm off here. I'm going to go and celebrate with the masses. Oh no, there's a swathe of red seats in front of me. I'll turn back, and uh, and the only noise really was from the the Norwich dugout. Um, and I saw somebody else tweet as well, not only yesterday, but Huddersfield, that opening day, that would have been in front of the away end, that late goal for Ademida that day. Um, yeah, I mean, Paul Warren, who obviously wasn't there, everybody knows, having to self-isolate, Rotherham's boss, uh, boy, a Norwich fan, he really hit the nail on the head in his programme notes yesterday when he said, you know, this game was special for him because of his dad, who's sadly no longer with us, and, and, and walking along the concourse at Car Road, and you get the first glimpse of the pitch when he was a nipper. Um, and it evoked those memories and as and then he went on to say to bring it right up into the present that those memories were being denied at the minute because you, the fans, aren't allowed in so that the players can't share those special moments or coaches as it is now in Wardy's case and uh, yeah, it's the, it's the missing link it's, it's that performance, that, that comeback at least deserved to be savoured by fans not on computer screens hundreds of miles away or at Cara Road behind glass uh, in the corporate lounges. It, it it needed to be to be really savoured by supporters because, you know, without wishing to repeat what's already been said, without supporters, football is nothing. It is, um, but we won't go on about it too much. Um, unfortunately, I, th- I think the reality is certainly dawning on us now that we're, we're probably going to be reporting on pretty much a whole season behind closed doors and that's not something we're looking forward to at all. Um, you know, obviously we, we are privileged to, to to be there, and um, you know, we don't we won't overlook that. We'll do everything we can to, to you know to bring as much of that as we can to you guys. But uh, the sooner it's safe for us to get back to normal, the better, because um, it, yeah, it feels like um, potentially happy memories could be being lost. Um, Connor, how, how was it sort of following it from afar? What sort of vibe did you get on that performance overall? That there was. It felt to me like that they weren't far away from a, from a good performance. There it was it's an entertaining game, but a lot of chances at both ends. But I feel like if they if their confidence was top notch, then they probably would have won that game reasonably comfortably. Yeah, I agree, and I, and I think to be fair, the the best bit of quality we saw in the game was the move that led up to the to the equaliser for Norwich in terms of really slick one touch passing completely carved for Rotherham Open and um, I, if, if the defender doesn't get there then Jordan Hugh will not sit home so it it wasn't for me um, a 
perhaps as good as the performance was against Derby. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say, but look, they found a way to win. I think given the backdrop of all of the international players and, and the sagas that went on there, how late they returned to training, um, obviously the transfer window as well. There's, there's lots of things going on in the background that they're having to adjust to and they're there to be shot at. And, and at the moment, people are are shooting at them. And I think because of the expectation um, that there is this season, that the standards have, have, have gone up and I guess rightly so. So it, it kind of feels like they're having to perform at their best every week for it to be justified when I, I think it was a performance that they needed to, to bring really against the Rotherham size who did a lot of things really well, actually, and, and, and made it a very difficult encounter. I don't think it was necessarily the game they expected. I think they were they were expecting to sort of try and break down a deep rover and block, and that wasn't necessarily the case. They pressed with intensity, and actually they then found they had a bit more space in behind. So it wasn't the best performance, but it, it was a win, and it's the confidence, like you say, that they'll get from that because there are still moments in their play where you can see that it's lacking, and... Um, I know that people are keen to make comparisons with two years ago, but I mean, it's, it's if it's not a, a completely different squad, those who, who are still around have obviously had a lot of experience that have, that have shaped them a, a little bit differently now and, and Daniel Farker as well. So um, it's still probably not where I would want it to be performance-wise, but you're right, they won, they found a way and, and good teams always find a way to win games and, and that is the most important thing at this stage because if they would have drawn or lost that game then I think there would have been some some very serious questions posed of, of Daniel Farker and his squad, to be honest. Yeah, um, right, well let's kick off with a little bit of Daniel Farker now, just as before we get into the, stuck into the game properly we've also got some questions from you guys um, so we'll come come to them a bit later in the pod, but but first up, here's, here's a bit of reaction from Daniel Farker It was quite eventful, what was it like to stand there as head coach, as that game unfolded and give us your overall thoughts? Yes, at the Championship I know this league pretty well and uh, how much it costs in order to be successful, I mentioned over the outside, you can't get as old in real life as you will get during such a championship uh, season and uh, I have to say for the neutral was a, a top championship game eh? because you also can could have to give many compliments also to, to Rotherham because they were here with a top performance you could, could see that they have this euphorism and also the self-confidence out of promotion um, still in the, in the game and it's no coincidence they, that they just have lost one game uh, be, before this game and also that they never conceded uh, more than one goal so far and they were brave they were aggressive they tried to press with uh, intensity uh, I liked also the performance of uh, of my team in general I think it was a really good championship performance and um, yeah difficult uh, game for us um, I'm pretty sure that not many teams will win here three points at Rotherham especially not here in the, in the beginning of the uh, of the season when they are full of the self-belief and euphorism and for that after being back uh, to win this game out of a losing position and um, and difficult story of the game uh, feels really massive and, and many, many compliments to the mentality uh, of my players because it was, of course, also a tricky few weeks uh, with all this transfer speculations and also like the build-up. Yeah, many players were away. We just had several players back uh, yesterday on the training pitch after they were on international duties. Difficult and then to show this mentality and in the end to, to win this game and also I think that... Uh, Deserve win now. We had just saw the statistic uh, 65% possession and 21 shots and many shots on goal. No doubt it's a deserved win, but in a tight game and, and it feels massive today. Uh, force on the, the red card incident. 
I don't want to speak in a, in a, in a bad and negative way about uh, about a player of the of the opponents. Don't want to speak about bad intention or whatever. That's that's uh, not not my style. Um, I, and I hope and I don't think it was a bad intention. Uh, just like it uh, seemed looked seemed looked horrendous. And and I was fearing that. Uh, in this moment, that um, Oliver Skip's loans that came to an end uh, because such a such a foul in such a situation can sometimes uh, be the end of a career anyhow. So it was, uh, if I'm honest, surprised that he could play further on. And uh, also, I'm I'm really grateful that uh, it seems like nothing serious uh, has happened. Yeah, there are some stoles still on his uh, on his legs, but anyhow. Oliver seems to be have a pretty special physical condition also with his knee anyhow and it seems like nothing serious that ha has happened so thank God and um, yeah I'm just just happy that out of the scenes uh, scene uh, Oliver Skip uh, can play f football further on. Right so Pat let's talk about that red card incident which. Um in real, well, in in the moment, being it was right in front of us, wasn't it? In the stand, and you you could, and right in front of the dugouts, you could really hear it. It was it was a crunching tackle, wasn't it? I, I don't think McDonald uh, did it um, with malice. I don't think he was trying to hurt Skip. But from looking at the replays, he he has a bit of a challenge with Hugel just before, doesn't he? And I think he sort of loses his balance, and he goes in so heavily into the challenge. But Farker was was livid in the moment, wasn't he? Uh, and Max Ahrens and many other yeah. players in yellow. And and ultimately, we talk about sort of penalty decisions and actually just popped into my head. It, I think if you look at, back at the footage when Adam Eaders conceded that penalty, Max Ahrens, I think it is, is basically literally just thrown his arms up as, what are you doing? So there was no kind of, that's never a pen ref. So in terms of, I look at that incident with McDonald and Skip, the reaction of those Norwich players tells you how bad they thought that challenge was because uh, we had a full-on melee. Um, led by Max Ahrens, uh, with, you know, some of the bigger boys wading in. Uh, I liked your analogy on Twitter earlier, Dave, about, uh, you know, the props yeah. coming to the aid of the scrum half. And it was a little bit like that. And um, and then Daniel, after the, after the game, asked him, and, and he said it was a horrendous scene. He feared that was the end, not only of his loan, but potentially Ollie Skip's career. Now, if Norwich's head coach is talking in those terms, that's how bad the challenge was. Richie Barker, who was standing in for Warney, he hadn't seen it again, to be fair to him, but but he said, you know, as soon as you go off the ground um, in, in this day and age, then, it, you know, it's, it's more likely going to be a red card. And the referee had no hesitation, literally two or three paces towards the incident, and he's reaching for his top pocket. An absolutely horrendous challenge. Yeah, I'd put it down to a little bit of frustration, maybe, because I think Norwich had just got back on level terms a few minutes earlier, and Rodron probably could, could feel that all that hard work was maybe slipping away. And, but he's lost his head completely. He's let his team down, and ultimately, the probably added minutes that that incident produced have led to 95 on the clock and Jordan Hugel slotting a penalty. So everything is interlinked. And uh, I'd imagine Paul Ward, when he's allowed back in the camp, will be seriously uh, pulling that man um, for, for a wee chat, as Alex Neil might say. And it was a complete abdication of responsibility from a, a very decent player. A player, as you rightly said, on the drive home, had been linked to Norwich in the past. So um, he's just lost his head in the heat of the moment. And uh, thankfully, from a Norwich perspective, Ollie Skip, after a bit of treatment, was able to get up and, and continue the game. Daniel didn't think there'd be any lasting damage. Talked about it. he had a few stud marks on his leg, understandably. But really, we're probably talking fractions between him getting up and him having a broken leg. And uh, nobody wants to see that, whether you're Norwich, whether you're Rotherham, whether you're a football fan. Uh, 
an horrendous challenge and uh, it got it got the punishment it deserved from the officials. Yeah, it looks worse the more you watch it on a replay. And in the moment, I thought is that it was a leg breaker. I, I was really concerned for him, the way he reacted as well. But um, the, the club have put out a, a good little video in the tunnel, haven't they? Uh, just after full time as the players go back towards the dressing rooms. And that finishes on Skip walking through and, and joking to um, one of the uh, backroom staff saying, um, oh, it's going to hurt in the morning, but <laughs> laughing it off. So hopefully that's a good sign and, and, and a bit of a lucky escape. But yeah, a, a very, very poor tackle. Um, if you actually look at the, the stats in the end, although I, I agree with what Connor was saying earlier, that Rotherham were good and... I think they can feel pretty hard done by to have, have not at least got a point, despite all the chances that Norwich had. But just, just to look at the cold, hard stats of it, Norwich had 63% of possession, 21 shots to Rotherham's 14, and seven shots on target uh, to Rotherham's three. And this is, this is unusual for Norwich game as well. 52 aerial duels in the game. Rotherham won 28 of them, and Norwich won 24. So I think we can... From that, you can see that they managed to turn it into the battle and the scrap that they wanted to wanted it to be. Um, and Norwich, well, Tunes of Hugel afterwards, he certainly felt that they they had stood up to that and had shown that they could handle that. Um, now, you know, other than an own goal and, and a very, very late penalty, then maybe we wouldn't be able to talk in those sort of positive terms. But in that first half, Connor, particularly... Stephenman was very prominent. You can have a look at, he was our player, watch that's at pinkin.com. And they really did have the chances that they should have been equalising quickly after the after that opening goal. Yeah, it was, it was shades of last year, wasn't it, in terms of them having opportunities and, and not necessarily having the composure in front of goal, I felt. But I, I was a bit I was a bit puzzled by their first half performance, I admit. And I, and I think part of it is because of the way Rotherham pressed, but they, they didn't really seem to be a clear plan that Jordan Hugill was playing up front and yet we didn't see the the crosses that we've seen in weeks gone by and um, that that felt a a little bit strange and it just felt a little bit um, unbalanced I guess and again Rotherham were kind of forcing them along and we saw that with with obviously the goal that they score after three minutes the press comes so intensely that um, Max Aarons or Tim Krull rather is is forced into a mistake so um, I I think a a part of that, that sort of period of their performance was because of Rotherham's game plan perhaps rather than Norwich's but it does feel like we're perhaps having to adjust our perception of what a Daniel Farker team is a little bit I don't think it is this certainly not in in year four I, I don't think it is this this slick possession based side that we've come accustomed to and you've, you've sort of said the possession statistics there and and, and I think they, they will please Daniel Farker but I don't think it was as slick and as free-flowing as perhaps we've become accustomed to two years if, if you're want to use that example but um, it is it does seem to be a, a bit more variation in their play and, and there does seem to be a willingness to work it to wide areas and I think that probably was needed in, in yesterday's game if, if I'm honest because of the type of game it was and it is too early to kind of look for trends and stuff but I, I think they did have to approach it slightly differently because of the outfit that Rob Ramar and it, it's going to be fascinating I think to see if on Saturday against Wickham, who in their own right will, will try and make it an attritional affair, whether, whether they go in the same direction. And, and then we can sort of really gauge sort of where they're at. And, and this is kind of it at the moment, I think, because it, it kind of feels like the performances and the results aren't quite matching up yet. And they, they kind of, if they have a good performance like they did at Derby and Bournemouth, they don't necessarily get the result as opposed to Rotherham and Huddersfield, where they, where they have won games and perhaps haven't been the best. So 
it does feel a little bit of a mismatch at the moment and, and it's just about joining them up. But there's there's plenty of potential there. I think you can see that with, with the first goal they score and obviously plenty of endeavour as well because, as, as I said at the start, good teams find a way to win. And if you can win games where you don't particularly play well, then then that bodes well for you, I think, and, and your season. Um, but for me, it's, it's what they can extract out of that performance and, and that win in terms of confidence and in terms of um, positivity and maybe a bit of togetherness as well. Like that incident you, you spoke about there with the red card and how players get involved, that can help build togetherness. And particularly with the new guys, I mean, you mentioned Gibson and, and Hugo jumping in, that, that's probably going to help, I think, with, with those around them and, and the trust. So um, I, I think it's probably more what they do with this performance rather than sort of focusing on this performance as a whole, because ultimately at this stage, they needed a win and they got a win. And, and I don't think you can really judge the performance unless it becomes a trend in, in weeks to come, which hopefully it doesn't. Yeah, like you said, this is just a start of, you know, if if they're going to push up the league and get involved in that top six mix, then this is just the beginning of, uh, well, literally a very busy phase, the first of seven games in three weeks. Um, but Pat, just to touch on Rotherham's goal quickly, um, it took all of us a bit unawares, didn't it? Because, um, you know, it, when the ball came back towards goal, it, it looked like it was fairly safe. And then all of a sudden the ball was in the back of the net. But, um, I, you know, I, I guess Skip and Hanley take the majority of the blame, Krull and Aaron's a little bit. But um, from when we were talking on the way home, I, I, we generally agreed that Hanley improved quite a bit as the game went, went on, didn't he? His head coach certainly felt so. He felt he, it was a top performance thereafter and, and he was very quick to get in the mitigation. You know, that was his first game since pre-lockdown. And that really, that statement alone tells you how long since he was on a football pitch for Norwich City. So, um, echoes of Tim Krull, uh, sorry, Tim Closer last season, probably coming back a little bit too soon, but that's where we are. We, we don't need another podcast on the central defence issues, but without Zimmerman, he had to come back because it was only Gibson fully available. So Daniel, as he said, worst possible start for the team and for Grant, but um, it's a measure of the man's character. I, To be honest, I didn't see it in real time. If, if I'm really on, I've sort of looked up as Ladapo was just putting the ball in, but having seen it back, I'm not I'm not really buying that, that you lay that at Grant Hanley's door. Yes, he's been too slow and got turned in that aspect, but no more so than Zimmerman did against Bournemouth or against Derby for the free kick. Um, for me, it's cruel. Cruel has played a very high tariff ball out, given the way Rotherham were pressing from the front. He's an experienced player. Maybe he needed to go a bit longer there because then Aaron's his second favourite. He's lost the ball. Skip's got himself under the ball and then it's in your box. Um, and to be fair, good good, good anticipation from Ladapo. But yeah, I mean, there was a lot of anti-Hanley on my timeline immediately after that goal. And, and having seen it back, I think that's very wide of the mark. Um, I think it was more a collective mis mismanaging uh, of that situation from Norwich. Um, starting with the keeper. Um, but yeah, thereafter, I thought, you know, moving forward, we're talking about, you know, what can we hope for moving forward? I thought there was signs him and Gibson because they're two reasonably experienced operators now and, uh, you know, they've played at this level and higher. They're, one of them's an international, one was in and around it. Um, there, there's potential there. You can see it and we all just hope that they stay fit and they can get a run of, a run of games because if they do, I think there's a... Certainly in the cent- in the championships, there won't be a better central defensive pairing for me. So um, that's quite encouraging. But albeit, yeah, not the start Grant Hanley was looking for. But but you know, what he is is a a very reliable, um, dependable leadership type person. And I think you can't have enough of them now. The situation Norwich are in. This is a work in progress. 
We've got the overhang from relegation. We've got the distractions of the transfer window. Sadly, that's probably just been parked for a few months and they'll be back again in January. You'd need leadership, real leadership on that pitch. Um, and Hugo will throw into there as well and Cruel. And uh, so for me, it's a good sign that Grant Hanley's back, albeit we've got to cut him a bit of slack because, you know, you know, he's not going to be, I think by common consent, there was a period in the Premier League last season that was his best spell in Norwich Colours. But he got to that point because he was playing regularly and he was free of injury. So we need to see that again. Let's see where he is with a free injury-free run sort of around Christmas time. I think then we'll see the best of him. Yeah, because that's going to be tested, that hamstring now. You know, he had surgery on that hamstring as well, didn't he? Um, same as Byron did. And the, um, I think I'm right in saying, um, you know, two games um, in a week for the next three weeks. So that's going to be put under strain. Are they going to need to maybe rotate him and Zimmerman a little bit? To get them both up to full fitness, we we shall see. But yeah, I was I was certainly a big fan of the way that Grant Hanley was playing prior to prior to lockdown. So let's hope that he can build on that. And I think um, you know one of the good things about us being in these empty stadiums at the moment is you can really hear everything that the that the players and and the coaches are saying, and that's that's that provides some great insight. And you know you really did hear Hanley and Gibson bellowing from the back and Cruel as well. We always hear Cruel, don't we? Um, and and really leading things from the back. So uh, encouraging signs there. Um, I think Steeperman and Ida both should have scored in that opening sort of 20 minutes or so. Um, both wasted very good chances. Um, Steeperman did some good, some bad. Um, the one that I hadn't realised was quite as good was the long-range shot from Ida, which one I've seen on the replay. That really moves in the air and was actually quite a, quite a good save from, from Blackman in, in the Rotherham goal. So, um, as we said earlier, they probably should have equalised earlier. But if... Norwich go on to have a good season from here, Connor. I, that Tim Krull penalty save is going to be is going to be the moment that we talk about a lot, isn't it? Because if Rotherham go two 0 up in the twenty first minute, I think we sit here and talk about a very very different game right now. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that, and that's what that's what he's so good at. And, and Paddy referenced the experience they have in that side now. That's why it's so critical for the big moments. You look at Krull's penalty save, and then and then Hugo converting one. They're, they're two really high moments of pressure that. They've dealt with very, very well, and, and and Norwich probably need more of that in, in quite a young squad. So, absolutely, and, and I've seen a few people talk about it being a turning point. I think we we can only really judge how much of a turning point it is once we probably come out the other side of Bristol City in a couple of weeks, and we'll see where Norwich City are then, because then we're around the ten game mark, and and I think the the league will will start to take some sort of shape, um, albeit very loosely at that stage. So. In terms of a turning point, I think it has all the potential to be uh, the same way that that 1-0 win over Middlesbrough was two years ago. Um, a very different game, but um, I, I still think that they can extract the same level of confidence out of it because there was a lot of good elements in their performance. There was a lot of stuff that needs to improve and, and they will know that more than more than anyone. But confidence and momentum is, is, is really important in football and they didn't really have any momentum. They were coming off the back of a very tough transfer window where Daniel Farke has not been able to pick arguably two of his, his, his best creative players um, because of distractions and obviously off the back of an international break that a lot of players have returned from um, late, in, in Tim Krul's case, probably 24 hours or so before the game. So there are there are lots of reasons that they just needed to get through that game and, and get through it positively. Um, but in, in terms of the turning point, and it, it has all of the potential to be that, but they need to make sure it is that. And, and they've got a really probably a, a really appealing two games now at home against Birmingham and, and, and Wickham um, where people will probably look at them as, as, as the favourites in both games and if they can extract 
at least four, possibly six out of those, then we're really talking about liftoff, aren't we? So um, it's it, it feels like quite a, quite a big week in many regards. But um, yeah, in terms of that experience, that's exactly what they probably lacked in the Premier League at stages last season in those defining moments in both boxes. They didn't quite have enough quality or experience to navigate their way through games in a way that could get the results that we saw yesterday. So that has to be a massive positive. Um, and yeah, I think... I think it shows that they do have quality in their ranks and, and they probably have too much quality not to win games at this level on a consistent basis for me. Yeah, um, I don't think there's much debate over Ida's you know, uh, concession of the penalty. Though that was uh, he got himself in a bit of a muddle there, didn't he? So I'm sort of in the replay protesting to Tim Krull. I'm not really not really sure what point he's trying to make because his foot sort of gets caught in between the Rotherham players' legs, doesn't it? So he, I, I think he panicked in the situation. But um, interesting to see how he develops. And you know, Todd Cantwell not involved because of this um, um, bruise that Daniel Farker had teed up in the press conference ahead of the game. So. Um, it sounds like Todd will probably come into contention for, for Tuesday, hopefully. But um, some good stuff from Adam, um, some encouraging signs, uh, although did still try to play like a striker most of the time. Um, let's just talk about the equaliser a bit then, Pat. Although there was a disallowed goal as well, wasn't there, uh, Steeperman? The offside call was correct. It was a Kintia free kick from the right. Steeperman controlled it well and, and slotted it nicely. Um, but yeah, the, in fact, Hugo Hanley and Steedman all offside. The, the, the Rotherham line had held firm basically. But the equaliser kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, Pad. It was it was a nice team move, and, and Max Aaron's again showing showing his quality. Great bit of pace. Uh, excellent. Yeah, it was. Connor's right. One real moment, and you can draw a parallel with Derby because they tried. There was a couple of moves in the second half against Derby, I recall, where it was that one-touch computer football, um, but they didn't have the final clinical edge and. They're obviously trying to do that on the edge of Derby's box that day, and Derby were very well marshaled by Curtis Davis. Um, but this move was in the central midfield, and it, in crucially, uh, Aaron's was able to open his legs and get the other side of the fullback. Then you need the pass from Buendia, absolute top draw, perfect weight on it into his path, and then the cross is a thing of beauty. And let, to be honest to the to the, the Rotherham captain, if he's not getting it, Hugel's getting. It, he's directly behind him, yeah. and it's basically because Hugel is there inside the six yard box. He he's had to play it, and and it's just uh, unfortunately uh, for him anyway. Uh, he bundles it into the net, but um, yeah, I mean Farker. I think I'm trying to think what he said. Now he said that was almost like peak Norwich, or that was that was perfect Norwich under him. That's what he wants to see. That. Really good passing, but passing with a purpose, progressive passing, not lateral passing. You need and to that for that to work, you need runners. And and Aaron's gives you that width down the right. It was crying out for that after the end of the first half. It, he'd been criminally underused. Um, and when he did get in towards the end of the first half, there was two chances in quick succession. He cut back a ball for Buendia, who I think hit the keeper, and then he cut back a ball for Steeperman, who sliced it horribly wide. And there's no doubt in this division, if you can get Max Aaron's on the front foot, then this kind of evolution that they're trying with uh, a more physical, focal presence in Hugel, that's what's going to happen because he will be able to get to the byline. And if he can deliver a ball like that, then Hugel's going to be licking his chops all day long. And uh, and we're getting that on the other side with Quintilla. Not so much yesterday, I didn't think, but, um, but that's what they're clearly trying to introduce, that element of something a little bit different, um, which I think to me is an acknowledgement, that, and we've already seen it now, the, most teams in this division are going to show Norwich ultimate respect and try and be difficult to break down and try and almost close off those central areas because the Norwich of the title winning season was 
for when you know picking the ball up in those pockets of space. Cantwell to a lesser extent, um, Timmy Pukki dropping deeper, Steepman in and around it. And if that's what they're expecting from Norwich circa 2021 vintage, then they need to come up with something a little bit different. And I think that's why they went out and got Poeta. They were hoping Onel would offer that. Unfortunately, he's going to be injured now, but maybe either can take on that mantle. And, and clearly, if he's dropping Jordan Hugel into the mix, that man feasts on balls in the air. And so they're going to have to provide that level of service, at least to inject some variety. Because if they try going through the centre with Jordan Hugel, as, you, as you, your focal point, it's not going to work. That's not his game. Um, and it was great to see that. And, and obviously, Buendia was key to that. Skip triggered the move. I think Steepman laid off the ball as well. But... Uh, that really, you know, that should that should whet the appetite for Norwich fans because this is for me a work in progress. It is season four for Farker, but he's basically with the squad turnover. This is really him now trying to reinvent something and meld old to new while still winning games of football. And and you you see in a move of that quality when they can put it together, there's not many teams in the championship be able to live with them. You know, whether it was Rotherham, whether it was Watford, Bournemouth, I don't care. That that was Premier League quality that move, and uh, and it, and it's a good sign that things hopefully are edging in the right direction. Maybe not on the pace of change or the pace of evolution for some Norwich fans, but I think it was another step in the right direction. With the caveats that we've all talked about, you know, there was certain areas for alarm still defensively, um, the lack of clinical edge. But I feel that will come. I feel if they get the base right now, um, and players trying to integrate new players, and then existing players all understanding their roles and what Daniel is asking of them, I can I can see them I can see them rapidly getting to the right end of the table. Yeah, I mean the games this week: Birmingham and, and Wickham at home. They get four points from that, and there's a good chance they're in the top six uh, by the close of play next weekend. And there's every chance they can win both. But yeah, that expectation is completely different isn't it during 1890 we kept going into games and we all knew and the Norwich fans all knew how good that team were they were blowing teams away people were underestimating them every week and it wasn't until sort of the final maybe 10 games of the season when teams were going ah Norwich are a good prospect we're going to have to start defending this is totally different isn't it teams are going to look to thwart them they are going to be so wary of what Norwich have got to offer this year so yeah that, that that's an interesting way to put it Pad, in that they ha- look like they have read that and seen that and had that bit of foresight to to change the direction or at least to be able to change that direction um 10 minutes to go Vrancic and Pookie come on for Skip and Steeperman. I thought Vrancic was was pretty good actually in the 15 minutes he was on the pitch he did play sort of deeper as more of a centre midfielder which is almost a little bit um, in contrast to what Daniel had said at the start of the season about seeing him more as a, as a number 10 option as more of an advanced option um, but I thought he did pull the strings um, a little bit and from where we were sat, Pad, we really thought he'd scored with that header early in injury time, didn't we? And that flashed across the goal. But then we're in, we're into Farker time, which thankfully we can start calling it again, Connor. And and it was a great moment, you know. But it, it clearly was a penalty. Um, Joseph Sean just clips Wendy. You can see from his body language, he, he knows that he's messed up. He knows he's given away a penalty. And cracking technique from Hugo, wasn't it? That he was so cool and we'll hear a little bit of his audio in, in a few minutes about that technique and talking about how <laughs> he thinks the academy goalkeepers are sick of him because he he just has been drilling this technique over and over again and that's great to hear isn't it that when you when you hear a player who is who again has had that foresight he's really thinking about it he has 
put his sort of made his claim and I'm the penalty taker in the squad. I want to be the man. And he took that ball off Wendy and, and Wendy didn't really resist either. So hopefully they they've seen that. But but a great moment. And and you know those two hundred fans who were able to watch the game on the screens at Carrow Road, it must have been must have been nice to actually be able to celebrate it as a group. Yeah, yeah, it must have been it, and it was it was a really good penalty. Um, again, I, I don't know if, if we'd have had VAR if, if we're looking at a potential retake because of the the sort of stutter in the run up, but um, who cares? Quite frankly, uh, it was it was a it, it was a really confident penalty, and and it was a really high pressure situation as well. It, it, it was essentially the game there on the line, wasn't it? And um, to show the the composure to to actually execute a technique that he's been working on rather than just to sort of blast it I think shows shows real um, quality to be honest and um, Norwich, have, Norwich have needed that I think and and, and he does offer them that variation that, that we were talking about in terms of trying to change games and, and Daniel Farker kind of hinted at that last season particularly in the field when he said actually we, we don't necessarily have the players to make it a bit more of an arm wrestle and I think he is is exactly the definition of that. He's a player who, who will scrap and sort of will throw his elbows about and will compete with with defenders. And, and they don't they didn't really have that option last season. Um, so so he has added something in, in the final third, a, a bit a bit more sort of thrust, I think. Um, but yeah, on the, on the penalty itself, we we spoke about the quality for the first goal. It's another real bit of quality for Buendia because he draws the foul and it's a, it's a really cute little touch away from the defender. And as soon as he lunges in and, and makes contact, then then that. That's that's a, a simple decision for the referee, really. So, for as much as as we talk about maybe not the performance we necessarily would like to see from Norwich, really they've won the game with two bits of quality: the the passing move that, that Paddy sort of laid out there, and and Buendia's touch as well. And, and whilst I didn't think Emmy Buendia had maybe his, necessarily his, his best game in a Norwich City shirt, it's it's those moments where even if he's not one hundred percent at the moment, you you need a player like Emmy Buendia. Wendier in your side because he can sort of create those moments that win your football matches and, and then it, it, it fell to Jordan Hugel and, and as I said the, the composure and the um, the the confidence he showed as well he, he like I say could have just could have just struck it placed it knew what he was going to do as soon as he put the ball down on the spot and um, took it upon himself that's really difficult for a striker to do particularly when they haven't scored their first goal it's it's a really big moment to sort of put yourself forward for and um Really promising as well, and, and hopefully we can we can see more of that. And, and we spoke about confidence. Hopefully he can take that as well into the into the coming weeks because um, he certainly laid down a marker now. I think to to make that striker position his own in in, in the weeks to come, and it's it's all going to be about the response from from Timu Puki now. But that's that's a nice situation to be in considering he didn't necessarily have that competition last season. So um, I, I think Norwich will will be pleased with that situation they've got at the moment at the top end of the pitch. Yeah, and it was Pucky finding Buendia, wasn't it, that, uh, for ahead of the penalty. So he was involved in, in the move that, that won the game. Um, but Buendia, yeah, not not really his game, not his type of game either. Um, but ultimately, he's been a key part in both goals. Um, I think it's quite similar to Stephen, really, in that we saw a step in the right direction from him. A little bit of maybe his confidence and belief in how good he can be in the Championship returning. And hopefully that will bode well and we'll start to see him uh, get back to his best because I, I did feel he was roaming around a bit too much. I, I, that's something that's always frustrated me a little bit with Wendy. I, I do feel that Farker needs to get him to hold his position on the right just a little bit more because he, he he does leave uh, some big spaces at times. But finally, Pat, before we hear from the man himself, I, I think in your ratings you, you have used the word talisman about Mr. Mr. Hugel, you know, in, in your ratings, which of course you can read at pink and dot com. And 
again, um, we don't want to get too excited about about the performance and about the win because this is a team who's just come up from from League One as, as difficult and stubborn and robust as as they are. But Hugel is another one who's taken a step in the right direction, isn't he? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it, it's impossible not to sort of see him as the uh, the new Mr. Grant Holt because the part of the world they come from, the, the background they, they had in terms of coming up through, you know, not necessarily the polished academy uh, conveyor belt. Um, they've got, it seems, a bit more of a rounded sense of, you know, what football means to, to certainly supporters and what have you. They're, there's a few rough edges to their game and, um, you know, they're, they're both very... Um, infectious characters. Whenever you speak to him, I spoke to him in Germany, you spoke to him after the game yesterday, we'll hear a fragment of it shortly. You come away thinking, what what a what a bloke he is. And if and if he's like that around the camp and that bubbly kind of uh character, you want to be around people like that. And um you know, I think that could turn into be a very good piece of business on and off the park because it isn't just about what he offers on the pitch, you know, in the changing room around the training ground. You need characters like that to row in behind. You need, you need to, um, physically, you know, he's, he's the sort of man you could, uh, you know, follow down the line and out onto the pitch and in a battle. And uh, they will need that in the championship because, you know, the, the, the soft touch Norwich of last season will, will get dismissed quite easily at this level. They need to be able to roll their sleeves up. They need to mix it as well as having that undoubted quality. And we've just come off a, a chat about Wendia. There's no better technical player in the championship than him, but that alone won't be good enough. And uh, that's why I think if I can get the blend right, you know, what we saw yesterday was maybe just the first glimpse of how Norwich are going to, uh, going to move on in this season. And, and uh, yeah, he, he is a talisman for me. I think, um, and you could see you could see the way the players celebrated with him after the after the immediately he'd slotted that penalty. That you know, he is somebody who, if he goes on and, and he's talked to. When I spoke to him in Germany, I think he mentioned it again to you yesterday, you know, 15 goals is his target because every season he wants to better what he did previously. Um, and I think probably he can, he can maybe raise his spots a little bit higher if he sees off the challenge from Timu Puki. And if he does that, then he's staying in the side because he's scoring goals. So, yeah, um, there's a lot to admire about that man as a man uh, as well as a footballer. And uh, and if we can continue to, to see even because he's only going to get better. The more games he plays, the better understanding he has with whether it's Quintilla, whether it's Aaron's, whether Buendia and how he likes to feed balls through. If you drop Cantwell in there, the more games he plays, and this applies to all, all these new players, the more games they play, the, the more comfortable they'll feel in the surroundings. And if you're picking up results, then then really, you know, that could look like, given what they paid for him, uh, an excellent piece of business from Stuart Webber. Yeah, well, let's hear from him. And, and as you say, he, he is a big personality. For for a 28-year-old sort of battering round centre-forward, he's got almost a youth, youthful exuberance to him. I, I mean, we were speaking to him, what I, I don't know, 15 minutes tops after he just scored a, an injury-time winner. So, of course, he was flying high. But um, it, we, we had a bit of a laugh with him as well. Oh, I'm loving it. I've, since the day I walked in the store from top to bottom of this club, I, I absolutely love it. I've fallen in love with Norwich. Penalty, Jordan. The sort of rub of the face and the big intake of breath. Is that to sort of put the keeper off as much as anything or was you, were you just literally settling yourself? I can't give me penalty techniques away. Are you all right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was, it, it worked, didn't it? No, I, as I said, I've been practising these for, for a while now. So it's um, regardless of what happens, what the keeper wants to do or whatever, I, I've got my routine. And I've stick to that routine from regardless of take 
20, 50 penalties on a training pitch. The academy keepers are absolutely sick of me because I'm always calling them for taking penalties. Right. So um, I'm constantly practicing and practicing and working on my technique. And as I said, I hope it's short today, but if there's more comes, I, w I won't be scared to st step up. You had a good chance not long before the goal, or well, I suppose a few minutes before the goal when you chested it sort of near halfway and turned. Did you did you think that was going to be your moment initially? I did, but I thought I thought I almost broke my toe as well because I kicked the floor. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, you still got some I know, decent I power. I got it on target. The keeper <laughs> yeah. had to save it and then team with the follow-up. But um, no, it's, all jokes aside, it was, it, was a, it was a tough game, so chances for me were came a bit limited. But as I said, I, I never stopped working for it. And uh, as I said, I'm just delighted for the three points. Yeah, the, uh, the intensity that Rotherham bring... You know, they call for absolutely everything, don't they? they? They fight for every single second on the pitch. Do you think that that's something that maybe you guys need to take on board in terms of what is going to be needed in the Championship every single week, as opposed to the Premier League, where there is that little bit more time and space? I, I believe we did that today. I think we, we, we stood up and matched them. I think that they, as I said, credit to, to Rotherham, they, they were brilliant today. But as I said, we stood up and matched them today, and I think that we deserved that, them three points. We worked hard enough for it. It was it was harsh on them, but as I said, we've come away with the three points. That's football at the end of the day. And another six games in the next three weeks. This is sort of the bread and butter of the championship, isn't it? What do you think you really need to do to build on this, to take the confidence from this? I just think it's um, the start of the momentum for us. I think that more than anything, if if we came off the pitch with three points today, we start we kickstart the almost the season for us. Obviously, the last two results haven't been the best, but the performances have been there. So to bring the performance in today and the result, hopefully kickstarts some momentum that we can build on for the rest of the season. Just finally from me, the, the penalty save from Tim Cruel, obviously a, a massive moment in the game. How amazing is it to have a Dutch international, a player of his calibre in the championship? Oh, it's unbelievable. I think you look at Tim's career and you look exactly what he's done. It's, it's unbelievable. And to have him between the sticks is brilliant. I mean, I had a Rotherham player in my ear saying, what do you think is going to happen here? I went, saving it. <laughs> so, so I just had that much confidence in Tim. And as I said, you, you look at someone like him between the sticks, even the defence, Ben Gibson, yeah, yeah. Ben Gibson, Grant Hanley, Max Aaron, Javi. Yeah. It was everyone stood up today and credit to every single player that was on that pitch today. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. Okay, so yes, that was Jordan Hugo, match winner. Let's hope for much more of that and um, to hear some some more fun interviews with him along those lines. At, at full time, I, I, I felt like it was quite um, a, a relieved reaction from most of the players. There was um, sort of relieved hugs going on rather than really over-celebrating. They, they, they know that um, that would look a bit silly given they've just come down from the Premier League and, and Rotherham have just come up. But um, we've got a few questions come in, so let's um, rattle through them to, to close the show. As ever, if you if you want to get in touch with us, then then please do. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, you can send us direct messages on all those platforms or, or, or ourselves as well, our personal accounts, me, Paddy and Connor. And so, yeah, if you, if you want to ever let us know where you're listening to the pod as well, we always enjoy that as well but here's the first one connor which i will throw your way from vinnie mancy on twitter who is the best central midfield pairing to give both creativity and protection for the back four as the balance doesn't seem quite right yet oh good question um uh, i don't think we've, we've really seen it yet i mean we, we sort of touched upon mario vancic and i i've been um 
a little bit maybe confused at times at the at the, at the incessant calls for him to to play consistently because of the reasons that we've outlined in terms of his mobility and his physicality. But I think on his his cameos so far this season, and particularly with the two games coming up, where I think they will face sides who who will look to um, sit back against them. I personally, I'd probably be inclined to go with him alongside Oli Skip. Obviously, depending on his on his injury, I think then you you get a real blend of tenacity with. Um, with real technical quality and although I can understand why he's perhaps introduced a little bit later on and I don't necessarily think that that's a, a slight on, on Lucas Rupp who, who I would who I would say has probably been one of the, the, the consistent performers this season without being spectacular so um, at the moment I think it's probably a toss-up between two of those three um, I certainly don't think McLean at this moment in time with what we've seen so far this season is is in that debate currently um, so I, I would probably say Skip and Vrancic just about edge it for me. But I think there's a, a really strong case for, for Lucas Rook to be in there as well. Yeah, I'd be interested to see that. Although I, I think Rook was probably slightly better than Skip yesterday, but they, they are they are quite similar. So it is going to be interesting to see how that midfield area develops. Um, here was an interesting one from Daniel Emery. Um, let's all have a quick answer of this one. Tim Krull or John Ruddy, both in their prime, who are you taking? For me, Tim Krull, um, I think he, I think Norwich, it was a real good bit of business. And, you know, we, we all know that he had to persevere before he really got back to his his best self. But we're talking about a guy who had a very serious Premier League career as Newcastle's number one, was playing in the UEFA Cup with them. And, you know, he, he's still in the Holland squad, just won his ninth cap. So for me, John Ruddy was a great servant for Norwich, but I, I think Tim Paul is a, is a better goalkeeper. Pad, where, where do you land? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, John Ruddy in that Premier League season was superb and obviously got himself into the England setup, didn't he? And, and eventually got his cap against Italy. But you do, you do. For me, the measure is their influence on the side, and uh, Tim Krul is, uh, well, I mean, player of the year currently, and uh, underlined it again yesterday at Rotherham. Uh, really, he is. I mean, we're talking about Hugo being a talisman, but there is a talisman who's proved it in Norwich colours, and uh, yeah, I think if we, it's a difficult one, but if, if my measure would be their influence on the side, and of course. You know, the way he cultivated a young Lewis, a young Aaron, a young Ben Godfrey, you can't underestimate how he almost coached them along in that title winning season. So in the round, the impact they've left on Norwich, Tim Krull. And Connor? Yeah, I, I would agree for the same reasons, to be honest. Um, I, I think he's 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 been excellent uh, across two or three seasons. I, I, yeah, I, I would go with Tim Krull, I think, for, for the reasons that you guys have outlined, really. I don't have anything particularly to, to add. Yeah, the one thing we should uh, probably should say is that that's not a slight on John Ruddy. John Ruddy was a good goalkeeper for Norwich and and an excellent servant, and it's a good choice to be able to pick between Norwich for for some reason as a club always seem to be pretty well served with goalkeepers. So that's uh, that's one area um, that I think you know that two two popular players, two um, goalkeepers that that Norwich fans are on the whole always liked, although Ruddy did have his up and down moments, didn't he? Um, Paddle put this one to you from Luke Yotta. The move for the first goal had shades of our brilliant championship winning season. Can we get back to that fast, direct, confident style of play? Hearing Farker delight in the move after the game, it must be his intention for the side. Yes, with the caveat, and we've touched on it all the way through here, uh, the expectation levels now, Norwich are perceived differently to how they were in that championship title winning season. So 
they can if they get teams who afford them the space that Rotherham did because they were trying to push forward themselves and maybe growing in confidence and thought, well, hang on, we can compete with these lads um, because Aaron's obviously had the space to run into. If you, as you could argue, Bournemouth and Derby adopted a template where they didn't, that they denied Norwich that space in behind, then it's it's a lot harder to to, to see that free flowing football then because you're you're really relying on almost an individual bit of brilliance, whether it's Buendia with his you know his intelligence in tight spaces to find a pocket of space. So yes, we can see it, but I, I think it's not completely within Norwich's gift. They they will they will only be able to do that to the level they want to do it if they get teams who are maybe willing to come out and, uh, you know, come out of their press and, and, and actually try and engage Norwich as an attacking force. And then if they do, you know, we can see that on the counter, you you drop in a Poheta with his pace as well as Aaron's on L when he's fit, either as well, Josh Martin, um, then they could really devastate teams. And I think that's probably why more often than not, championship rivals won't want to go and go toe-to-toe because they know if they do, they're probably going to come off second best. So, yeah, that's the interesting one for me. Can we see a bit more of that, or is it going to have to be maybe a, a bit more of a, you know, a measured kind of approach to how they try and break down teams? Okay, and lastly, Connor from Shane Jones. A couple of comments before coming into a, a straightforward question. Defensively, we need to tighten up. It's getting far too easy for the opposition to open us up. Still early days, but I still don't think we have the balance between defence and midfield. But he asks Hugo to start the next game. I would love to see perhaps Pookie playing in that ten role. What do you think of that, Connor? Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if eventually that we we move to that sort of um, what what he's outlined there with Pookie as a number ten. Although I would caveat that with every time he's he's played in that position for Norwich, we probably haven't seen too much in terms of productivity. But I think they've probably had a bit of an issue with that ten position since um, since they got promoted to the Premier League and have tried Steepman and Duda and hasn't hasn't really no one's really grasped that position yet I think hence why we're probably talking about Vrancic possibly in that role but um, yeah I, th- I think at the moment he, he would be a brave man to change that team I think Jordan Hugo scored a goal that's as a, as a striker that, that usually means um, that, that you get a start for the next game and I think probably deservingly so um, and, and I take his points about the defence and, and the midfield but again I, I would caveat that with the stage of the season we get I don't think any side is is fully into top gear yet and, and probably playing how, how they would like to consistently. So I'm, I'm sort of taking it with a little bit of a pinch of salt. I think overall this this season as as a whole in, in the opening five games, they've probably looked a little bit better defensively than, than certainly they did last year, but possibly even in, in that in that in that in that first season as well. And and you talk about the goal yesterday, that was really um because of uh, a mistake by Tim Krull and, and, and probably then it, that led a chain reaction of mistakes from from Skip, who I think got got caught out a bit positionally, um, and, and then Hanley as well. But he was he was three minutes into his first game for however long, so that's that's to be understand that's to be sort of understood. I think so. I think I think that sort of cohesion will come. It's it's to be expected that there's a, a little bit of, um, of 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 TV issues, I guess, after the the churn to the squad that we've seen. So. I, I would I would say it's it's a work in progress and, and just to, to wait before we make any sort of um over overriding sort of points about the the sort of cohesion of the team because I think we, we probably need to wait a, a little bit longer to to fully judge where, where they are in terms of, of, of that aspect of their game. But I think structurally they've they've been a bit better so far this season. Okay. Um well I'm not that keen on this Pookie in the 10 role. I've seen quite a lot of people talking about it. I just think they've got better options as a 10. I'd I'd be keen to see 
Pookie alongside Hugo as as a sort of little and large partnership up front. I'd like to see that in sort of a three five two personally, but I don't think I'm going to get that because Daniel doesn't seem particularly keen. Just just on that um, on on that point, if if you think about Jordan Hugo last year at QPR, he was really productive when he, when he played alongside Mackie Wells in the first half of the yeah. season. So that is something that he's done before. So possibly, and, and again, I think the only way we would see that was would be with a three at the back and, and obviously they've only got three centre-backs so I can't really see it at the moment but I, I'm, I'm with you I'd, I'd love to see that them two sort of partnered together um, to, to see how that would work because Hugill's obviously got history of it working really successfully particularly in this division Yeah, I think that would suit Aaron's and Kintia well as as wing-backs as well um, but just finally we mentioned the centre-backs there Pad, to, just to mention the, the transfer window closing on, on Friday, of course, at 5pm, this is the squad that Norwich have to go with for this next 11 weeks, 18 games, or that was the first of 18 games, through until the next uh, transfer window. It is just three centre-backs that they go with, um, but the, the only real business um, on, on that day was was Tom Tribal going to Blackburn. But um, I don't think there's been, um, although there was maybe a bit of surprise initially that he was um, in this group of players alongside Leitner and Dermish, that they were willing to, to let leave. Um, I don't think there's been too um, too much sort of outcry about him actually being allowed to join Blackburn. Would you agree? Well, I mean, there was. I think there was. I mean, I put the question to Farker. I did see more than one fan querying, "Why would you give him to a perceived championship promotion rival?" I'm not sure I bracket Blackburn in that category personally, but um, but Farker's answer to that was, "Well, Blackburn were the only club who picked up the phone." Yeah. And lest we forget that. Those three players you mentioned were told before the end of last season, not going to be part of the plans, go and get yourself another club. So them and their representatives had a reasonably lengthy period of time through the summer um, to get themselves moves. And if Blackburn are the only club picking up the phone, then for me, it makes sense to let him go out there, keep play games. I know he didn't feature yesterday. He got beat to, to Nottingham Forest, but I think he only probably completed his move on, on the Friday, didn't he? Thursday, Friday. So probably hadn't trained too much with Blackburn, but hopefully he'll get a good block of games this season. Um, and then you get his market value up to a point where maybe you can sell him on again. They have the recall option in January if they want to do that as well. So in the context of how many suitors did Tom Tribal have? One. And they were Blackburn. So what do you do? You either accept Blackburn. He wanted to go. He made it clear he wanted to go and play football. So you have to take the player's wishes on board. There's the financial element to it as well. Blackburn will play a proportion of his wages. And the alternative, if there's only one suitor and you say, no, thanks, put the phone down on Blackburn, is he's here. He's training on his own, uh, running around the pitches at Colney. And uh, he's not part of the plan. So for me, it wasn't even a debate, really. If Blackburn's the only show in town, let him go there. And, uh, and I wish him all the best. But um, time had moved on. The decision was made by the, by the end of last season. Weber and Farker decided him, Leitner and Dermich are not going to offer what they feel they need moving forward. And that is the whole debate about more physicality in those areas of the pitch, you know, more energy. And we haven't seen him yet, but they feel Sorensen is an upgrade on Tom Tribal. And that's, that's the top and bottom of it. And whether they're right or not, they've made that decision. There we go. Well, the centre-back issue we've discussed quite a lot already. So if you, if you want a bit more on that, then we had a, uh, a lengthy chat on the Pink and Live video, which goes out on Facebook, YouTube and Twitter. Um, you'll hopefully be familiar with them. Uh, we usually go out at 5.30 on a Friday to review the, the press conference. Um, always a, a good 
piece of content to tee up your, your weekend with and and of course post-match we, we bring you some videos on the pink and youtube channel so that's well worth uh, keeping an eye out for um just want to mention as well before we uh, wrap the show that the new edition of the official norwich city sticker book um that is available to order from pinkandshop.co.uk as of monday of this week the stickers will follow in about a month's time but of course um we need everybody to get their albums first so that they can eagerly start collecting um in november um that a lot of hard work has gone into that i can assure you and, and i hope that um this year will be seen as as an upgrade on the first year which um I, I, I hope we can feel was was a pretty decent success as well so um do keep an eye out for that as ever you can hear us on future radio 107.8 fm we really do appreciate you listening to the show and, and getting involved we've been going for nearly 13 years now i think we we must be the longest running Norwich City podcast that is out there so thank you so much for for listening uh, Paddy Connor thank you very much thank you very much for listening we will of course be at Carrow Road on Tuesday night for that game against Birmingham and again against Wickham on Saturday so pinkin.com is the place to go to to keep up with all the updates analysis and reaction thanks for listening we'll catch up with you very soon